Welcome to Conversations with Achievers. I'm your host, Robert Wright. I'm a mentor to owners, executives, and their teams, and CEO of Extraordinary People, LLC. I work with people that want to create extraordinary business performance with less stress, more joy, and more personal fulfillment. So sit back, relax, and prepare to learn from your peers as we explore what it takes in terms of attitudes, habits, and behaviors that achieve extraordinary results. Results for yourself, for your family, and your community. Hey, Robert White here, and welcome to Conversations with Achievers. And we definitely have a great Achiever guest today that I'm eager to learn from and uh, and share with. James Grant uh, runs a, a, a fairly large regional law firm in Atlanta, Georgia. And I'll, other than that, I'm going to have him introduce himself and tell us how, where that came from and, and how he got to his august position in life. James, welcome to Conversations with Achievers. Hey, Robert, thanks for having me on. I'm really pumped about today's episode and just you know having a conversation, having a good time. That's a, that's a good start. Uh, one of my goals in life right now is, in fact, to have more fun. So uh, to do what I do and have more fun doing it. So uh, welcome. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background growing up and, and how, you, uh, how you chose your current career. Oh, yeah. My my story took so many different twists and turns. You just when you hear the start of it, you're like, how did this guy end up where he is today? And I honestly don't know. It's just crazy. Um, I was a you know a local boy in, in the Atlanta metro area, and I went to the Georgia Institute of Technology and I was a civil engineering major. I run a B2B personal injury law firm now. So like those two things, when most people hear about that, they're like, what happened? What went wrong? How did you get to where you are? I, I, I really don't know. It's just kind of like happenstance because I was in my last semester or second to last semester at Georgia Tech. I already had job offers lined up. I was ready to go into the working world. I didn't have any debt. Like everything was great and going to be planned out. And then I was just like, hmm, let's try law school. That'll sure be fun. And like, literally that was it. Took the LSAT, got into a school, went to law school. Everybody in my family thought I was crazy. I mean, and rightly so, because I was doing everything against what, you know, general conventional wisdom said, you don't, you don't do this. So I went to school, I racked up a bunch of debt. I went into the working world, you know, 2011 was when I graduated. So towards the end of uh, the housing crisis, which just shut everything down. And it was kind of a, a shock, you know, when, when you come out and you think that, you know, all these lawyers are just like it is on TV, living in these, you know, super fancy, you know, high-rise condos with these super fancy jobs paying all the money in the world. And then you get smacked in the face with the reality of like, oh, I'm making $45,000 a year as a prosecutor. This is not, this is not a good thing. Um, but I needed to get experience. The, the one thing that so many lawyers especially don't have is they don't have courtroom experience. And not that everyone has to be in the courtroom, but just to have that understanding to where you prepare your case if it gets that far. So I got a lot of experience early on as a, a prosecutor with one of the counties um, here in Metro Atlanta. And then once my public service was done, I went to work for a small firm that did what I call door law. And the best example is if you come in the door and you got cash, they're going to take the case. Lots of businesses operate under that type of model, not necessarily the best way to run a business because you're, you're dabbling in everything. You're an expert in nothing. But 
my now business partner and I, Mark, he started two weeks before me at that same firm. And we met each other about three months in after working together. We kind of looked at each other and we're like, are we going to do this? Is this, is this going to happen? And we, we started planning. We started saving. About a year later, we put in our notice. And in January of 2015, we started Georgia Trial Attorneys. Now, the way the story goes is we were two wide-eyed idealists. And we had no clue what we were doing. It was just crazy looking back because we were two dudes hanging out in Mark's basement. And most attorneys end up at some point in their time, in their tenure, in their career, either they're a very high level decision maker at the firm that they're at, or they're going to own their own business. And we have no education, no training, no coaching, nothing from either the law schools or the state bars on how to actually run an effective business. And we just kind of fell into some of the traps that a lot of you know business owners have to learn lessons the hard way of, we didn't have any marketing, we didn't have any sales, we didn't have any processes, we didn't have any procedures, we didn't write anything down. Like we weren't doing anything that you were supposed to from a business perspective, but we made things work. We made money our first year. We continued growing for the next you know couple of years, 25 to 30% year after year, which is great, but, when you're, when you're running a, a business that's doing a lot of different things, you have to specialize and you also have to plan. So we hired a business coach in October of 2018. Single greatest decision I've ever done in my life from a personal, professional and financial standpoint, just because you don't know what you don't know. And it's also very helpful to have strong advisors with strong backgrounds to help you make strategic decisions for your business, for your family, for your clients, for everyone that's involved. And oh, uh, James, I, uh, I want to assure our listeners that I did not pay you for that endorsement of coaching. Oh, no, no. I, I, everyone <laughs> I talk to, I sing the praises of coaches. You know, coaches just can help you so much that you don't even understand. You know, sometimes they help you see the forest for the trees and the trees for the forest. And it's, you know, it's, it's a great perspective to take to run a business that, in my instance, just so happens to practice law. And the more we started to do that, we had always done personal injury, where we represent people that are injured in car accidents and slip and falls and dog bites, things like that. You know, everybody generally understands how a personal injury attorney works, but many attorneys do a lot of different things. You know, they'll also do some family law cases, they'll do some criminal defense, they'll do some bankruptcy, and they'll just do a, a hodgepodge of a bunch of different practice areas. Well, as we were going, we kind of operated under that same model for the first couple of years, but realized, all right, well, we have to narrow our focus. We have to be you know, an expert in some way. We have to pick at least one practice area. And Mark and I decided, all right, we're going to stick with personal injury. That's, you know, it's what we're good at. It's what we enjoy. You know, it's obviously good from a monetary standpoint to help us, you know, support our, our families, ourselves, help a lot of people. And then we just kind of hate what the insurance companies do in general. I mean, I, I have a general disdain for auto insurance companies and other insurance companies that are out there that hold money hostage of injured victims across the country. It's just a pet peeve of mine. So I, I, I like to go get them. And with that, we're like, okay, well, now that we've started this and we've gone all in on personal injury, we're still not different. You know, there's, there's hundreds of accountants. There's, there's hundreds of lawyers. I mean, there's tons of people out there that do what you do from a business perspective. So you have to niche down even further. And within the personal injury world, there's kind of two, two models or two ways that you run a, a case. You have a pre-litigation case, which is 
when you're injured in an accident, you need to call an attorney right away, whether you're, you think you're hurt or not, just because you don't know what you don't know. And if you act fast, speed is, see the speed is your friend. So you want to get with an attorney quickly. They're going to help you get to a doctor, get the medical treatment that you need, get better from a physical standpoint during that time, collecting all of the records, bills, police report, dash cam, body cameras, you know, all the investigative materials that you need to start building your case helping you through that process. And then when you get done with treatment, making sure that we have everything that we need that says, all right, this is the way they were before the accident. This is the way they are now. This is what the prognosis is going forward. And once we have all that, we send that off to the insurance company in a demand letter and try to settle the case. Most cases within you know, a couple months are gonna resolve within that demand letter because the insurance companies are at least gonna pay a fair sum or a sum that the client's willing to accept. And most cases, like I said, probably 60, 70% are gonna settle pre-litigation. But there are some cases that don't settle that need that next step or that next phase of litigation. And what we found is, especially across Georgia and across the country really, is most personal injury attorneys are very good at pre-litigation. They've got a great system for marketing and sales. You know, they're able to, whether it's front-end marketing or back-end marketing, however they're doing it, they're able to get cases. And that's generally not the issue. They're able to run those cases and acquire all of the records, all of the documents, make sure that the client does what they need to. And in that process, it's very administrative in nature. You can have a pre-litigation attorney that's probably running four or 500 cases or more, as long as they have a strong support staff. And, and that's great. If, that, if that's your model, you need to stay in that model because when you flip the switch and then you go to litigation, that, that system is not going to work the same for the litigation cases. And so what we found is there's kind of this hole in the market. You've got a lot of great attorneys that are very good at that front end, the first part of the process, but no one really wants to be in the litigation space, or if they want to be in the litigation space, they also want to be in the pre-litigation space. And so what we do is our business is we are in the referral business. So what we do is we help other personal injury attorneys make more money faster and with less stress by operating as their outsourced litigation department. So what that means is I work with other pre-lit firms to then help them with their litigation cases and they refer the case to me to finish or finalize the case. And there are other people that do what we do, but no one goes all in on litigation. So now our niche down even further is going from, we are personal injury attorneys that specialize in litigation and we only specialize in litigation and only want to be a B2B business because there are other people that do what we do as far as helping other law firms litigate their cases, but it's kind of a disingenuous or you know, don't look behind the veil kind of situation. Whereas if you, Robert, are referring me a case and I'm one of the, uh, these other firms, well, I'm gonna work that case with you, but then what I'm gonna do when that case finishes I'm going to take some of those profits and invest in a pre-litigation marketing campaign to now where I'm your competition. So it's kind of this certiquous thing where it's like, hey, you're you're funding your competition inadvertently, and I don't I don't think that's right. So what we've done you know, is we've uh, the- I think a lot of our listeners right now are pretty smart business people, and 
those lessons about niche markets and and competition and uh, getting other people in effect to sell for you, that B2B model, those are lessons that uh, some guy running an HVAC company or somebody building homes or somebody uh, running a, tr a, a, a regional trucking firm, the, the kind of listeners I know we have, the, those lessons apply in all of those areas. So it's, it's clever. You know, I want to ask you one question, James, uh, well, maybe 10 questions, but <laughs> <laughs> one is, um, you know, there are about a, a zillion uh, lawyer jokes. And yet in, in my circle, my friends, my clients, every one of them has one or two or three lawyers in their life that they depend on uh, and that are close friends and who there's great, even love and respect. And, uh, uh, and something I always wonder about is, is with those people, and there's a, there are many of them, it's like counter to all the jokes, uh, something seems to have happened for them around law, uh, whether that what you thought was happenstance, that decision to go to law school or in law school. What happened for you such that, I mean, you obviously have a love for the law. Uh, what happened? Uh, or do you know what happened? How did it happen? Well, most of the lawyer jokes, unfortunately, are true because... <laughs> most lawyers don't have business skills. They don't have business acumen and they're not entrepreneurial minded. So they're, they're dabbling in the practice of law and hoping the business works out well, which is not how you want to run a business. And that's where most attorneys get in trouble is they get in trouble on the business side, not the application of the law. So that's one thing where, you know, again, working on your business first and then working in your craft is going to help you better as opposed to being the best at your craft, but a horrible business person. And, you know, when it, when it comes to me, there's, there's a lot of different things that happen, I, I would say, but, you know, getting my feet wet when I was a prosecutor in my first few years, year and a half as a, as a licensed attorney, that really kind of instilled that you, you do right by other people. You, you know, you do the right thing. You say the right thing. You stand up for what's right. You hold people that do things wrong accountable because, you know, I was seeing that from the criminal um, side of things of, you know, when you violate the law, well, guess what? There's consequences. And I think that really set kind of the, the pace or the, you know, the outlook of, all right, I'm going to help people. And, whether it's on the criminal side, whether it's on the personal injury side where we ended up, there's a number of different ways that you can help people and help them achieve better lives and hold those accountable who are either doing wrong or standing for a position that is wrong. And that's where we, even though it's kind of a David versus Goliath scenario where you've got multi-billion dollar insurance corporations, somebody has to stand against them because if you let them, they're going to railroad you. They're going to run over you because they're in the business of making money, not necessarily doing what's right. And, uh, you know, I've, I, I have success stories in my practice. I think, you know, we all do. And uh, we want to brag about things that worked well. And one of those stories happens to be a, a regional law firm. And one of the things I learned in dealing with those folks was they were all brilliant people. And they... Uh, but it was a partnership and they're at war with their partners um, over big things like money, but also over small things like the size of an office or the view from the office. You know, that's a big thing here in Colorado is what, what's your view of the Rockies or not? 
Uh, you obviously have made a partnership work. What have you learned from, from that? Most of the time when you really look at these partnership disagreements, it's stupid stuff. And you really have to decide, what am I going to put first? Am I going to put the business first or am I going to put my you know, selfish desires of I want a you know, 2000 square foot office with this view and this location <laughs> and I'm willing to burn it all down because I have this innate desire to satisfy this need for me. Like now, mm. if, if the business can support that and you can come to an agreement together, that that's fine. But if you're, if you're burning bridges over really dumb things, you've got to step back and say, Hey, is this an entrepreneurial minded decision or is this an emotional decision? Mm. Boil everything down to metrics and if you do that, you take the emotion out of it, and then it just becomes a strategic decision. And Mark and I have been really great about that. It's it's helped a lot through our coaching. Our coaching has helped us understand and acquire, you know, that mindset and perspective. But if if you really start making objective decisions that are based on specific criteria, as opposed to, well, I feel this way, or I think this is going to have this result. No one cares about any of those feelings. Let's just talk about the facts. And that's really helped us come together and also stay in our, our lanes. You know, with the way we've been able to divide the business, Mark is responsible for operations and finance. I'm responsible for marketing and sales. And we really don't step on each other's toes in those roles. Now we come together on uh, a lot of the CEO functions and strategic visions for where the firm will be in three, five, 10 years. But as far as how the work's going to get done today, that's Mark's job. As far as how many cases am I going to generate and how many referral sources am I going to acquire and be responsible for, he's not going to get involved with that. So you, you really have to be able to delegate and then let go and say, guess, you know, we, we've worked together for years or we've you know decided this is what we're going to do and I'm going to trust you. You're going to have to be accountable to that, but let it go and let it ride. You know, I, probably like you, I'll use the fancy term. Uh, I get requests for, for pro bono work, and quite often it is a startup. You know, a couple of young people that have an idea and they're excited about it and looks like it might have some success. And what's interesting to me is how many of them are cruising toward partnership problems. I think one of the, I remember when my daughter was uh, in uh, for her undergrad, one of my daughters, uh, Megan, going for her undergrad and they require in your freshman year that you live in a dormitory and then they assign your roommate. And I, I remember that that was her first big university learning is that not all roommates are good roommates. You know, <laughs> they really are. I, I went through the exact same thing <laughs> a few times. And, uh, but in business, uh, I, like I made a major mistake. It's actually the heart, uh, kind of the heart of what I do today was I made, I made a major mistake uh, in my early 30s, believing that the people I attracted into that business that I started at that time had the same purpose, vision and values that I had because we came out of the same company or, and out of the same tradition. And uh, it was a very rude awakening to find out that my assumptions were just way, way off. So I, it's wonderful that you you guys connected years ago and went, hey, maybe we can do something together. But then you did the harder work 
of uh, creating alignment and, and around uh, some business principles. That, that's a that's a lesson for anybody in in uh, I think in, in any industry. Uh, so that's oh yeah, cool. I mean, and like like you said, I mean, you know, core values are so important, and you need to decide those very early on. What does your business stand for? What is your business's core values? And then make every single decision looking back at those things. If you establish your yeah. core values and your mission statement, and then everything else just goes back, does it further this process? Does it achieve the, this mission? Does it further these core values? If it doesn't, we're not doing it. And you know, I'm working on really a book, uh, book about leadership, and the core of it is that I have a belief based upon some study and some real life experience that the uh, only unique role of a CEO, and you've got kind of a shared CEO thing going, but the only unique role is the creation, the uh, communication, and then the maintenance of an aligned purpose, vision, values, and strategic intent, and that everything else should be delegated. And, uh, you know, those are just words, you know, that can just fly by you. But the key word for me is maintenance. And that's that piece you just referenced about values. Not that you have a list of them on the wall or on your coffee cups or, you know, all of that stuff uh, people in, in some companies do. But are you uh, catching people doing things right that are consistent with the values and celebrating that? And are you uh, coaching and or firing people that violate your values? And uh, that, that piece of it that you just mentioned, uh, I think it's just central to any business, anywhere, anytime, is uh, what do we stand for? What can people count on from us and from each other? That's very cool. Well, we're wrapping up, James. I want to give you a chance to tell people how to be in touch with you, uh, uh, whether they be uh, lawyers looking for a partner uh, on litigation or somebody that you want to work on a charitable project with or whatever. Uh, how can I support you? Yeah. So, I mean, the best way to get in touch with me is through our website and it's the same as our toll-free number. It's 833-4-THE-WIN. So that's 833-THE-NUMBER-4-THE-WIN.COM. And like you said, whether whether you're a lawyer in Georgia that's handling personal injury cases and looking for somebody to help you make more money faster with less stress by being that outsourced litigation department, or if you're just an entrepreneur, I, I actually talk with lawyers across the country every week and helping them strategize and figure out how they can get their business to the next level. And really, business is business. So like you said, if you're that HVAC technician that's running your own business in Montana and you want to talk me with about me with business... I have no problem because it's it's solving a problem and it's helping somebody else get to where they want to be and helping their clients do the same. So if you want to get in touch with me, it's really easy. Just 833 for the win. Uh, I wonder, you know, I wondered about your email address and I neglected to ask you about it. Now I get it. It's also your 800 number. That's wonderful. Uh, James, thank you for being so generous. Clearly, you've thought about things that are important to my audience and to me personally. Uh, I, I, uh, I hope we find something we can do together. It, it, it would be, I have a feeling it would be good for both of us. Uh, I, I wish you every possible success and happiness and uh, let me know how I can support you. Yeah, no, thank you. It's been really fun. I've enjoyed it. All the best.
Thanks so much for joining us for Conversations with Achievers. If you or someone you know would make a good guest for this weekly show, the details are at therobertwhite.com and click on Podcasts. I'm looking for businessmen and women with a story to tell, stories that might benefit other owners and executives. If you got some value from this program, I'd really appreciate you sharing about it on social media and just mention www.therobertwhite.com slash podcast. Of course, subscribing means you won't miss a show and rating the podcast positively will leave Robert smiling. I'm building a movement here for leaders, leaders who want to succeed in business, succeed with their families, have fun, and contribute toward making the world a better place. It's special to me that you chose to listen. I look forward to connecting again next week. Remember, reach out to me anytime with any questions or concerns at therobertwhite.com. Bye for now.